Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. So Indian matchmaking, the Netflix show, was all over our feeds the last week. But arranged match isn't the only problematic concept it shed light on. Another thing that it also sort of foregrounded was this devotion to the elderly and the idea that not just the elderly, but older people in family, in society, we should be devotional towards them. More than being respectful towards them, we should listen to what they say and they should play a big role in how we lead our lives. So this week, we've decided to get together and question this age-old ideal, pun intended, and whether it's time to retire it. This is Shishti, your host, by the way. So to start off with, let's ask everyone on the team, when was the first time that you learned this idea of being devoted? Or when do you remember it being taught to you? Hi, I'm Rajvi, the culture editor. Um, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't remember exactly when, which I think points to how young I was when this was all, you know, taught to me. But it's very basic, you know, when you go to greet your mamas and kakis and whatever. I'm Gujarati, by the way. Um, you like, you have to... You have to touch their feet and then uh, they give you ashirwad and they probably say, I hope that you get married and have these many kids in the future and that's like their ashirwad. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of this was super basic and was taught to me. But I do remember that by like by, after a couple of years in school, I completely stopped touching people's feet and my grandmother used to like berate me for it. But I was just like, no, I don't think. I don't know what that other person has done for me to bend down and touch their feet. So I haven't done it for many, many, many years now. Hi, this is Aditi. I'm a culture writer. So uh, I come from a Tamil household and uh, we don't really have a touch people's feet sort of thing or every single time you see them. But uh, we do have this uh, tendency to sort of deify elders. Like whenever I go visit my grandparents, I'm always supposed to sort of like touch their feet in a very like elaborate process and it's supposed to be like a good luck thing but I get I mean I I, I do get a bunch of gifts for it so I'm okay with it but even though I can't get paid to touch feet <laughs> I don't know it works so yeah it's a it's like a but we have had a very uh, like intense almost uh, unquestionable culture of respect for elders in our family and in, in many other Tamil families that I've seen and uh, it's, it's almost stoic like you have to do this and there's no like that's just it. Hey this is Carla and if you can't tell by the accent I am not Indian. Um, so I was raised in a half American half European household and spent most of my childhood in the US and this concept is sort of non-existent there so I have a wildly different perspective from growing up but I will say the first time that I really encountered um, this idea was the first few times that I came to India I think in my early 20s. I think that it also manifests in just like questioning what you were taught you know growing up like for example I've met so many people just as an adult where they're like they have the same political views or the same views on gender roles in the household as their parents did um and this whole idea of like see something say something like just like this questioning of things that you've always been taught um and kind of putting your foot out to or putting your neck out to change things. I think that's something that is also a manifestation of how devoted to elders in the sense that we never question them on anything. Would you say that there's a difference between respect, like a culture of respect and a culture of devotion? And how does that make Indian culture different? Okay, so um, somebody wrote me this 
condolence letter when my grandmother died, which I will never forget because I thought it was so beautiful. Um, and she just wrote that uh, every time a grandmother dies, a library is lost. And I thought that was so beautiful because what it really evokes is this idea that like these people who we sometimes look at as like, oh, you know, you're so old, you can't possibly understand anything about my life. What do you know about what's going on? You don't understand the internet. You don't get Twitter, <laughs> like whatever. These people have lived long, rich lives and they have deep reservoirs of experience and they know so many things about the world. That life experience has deep, deep, deep inherent value. Now, the issue I have with the devotion that the sort of this, this sort of cult of the elder, right, is that it's more about that life, ex the way that that life experience is imposed, right, the way that it's communicated, rather than the question of whether we can learn from it or not, because it seems to me obvious that young people can. That's really interesting because it brings us to this idea of where does this come from? You know, where does this devotion to the elderly come from? And we're a much more collectivist culture and a much more community-based culture, while uh, the US and large parts of the West are very individualistic. And there's been a lot of debate about the pros and cons of that. But essentially, this idea of devotion to the elderly comes from this as well. And um, I mean, the United Nations in its like exploration of families and social life and relationships. I mean, it's also put out a couple of papers about the Indian family model and how uh, like a collectivist culture in India and the idea of the joint family actually works out well for both the elderly and younger people because it, it, it accords us free childcare and um, it, it, also, it means comfort and care for the elderly when they're older, you know, and not supported care. And I wonder if there are merits to that sort of setup and that sort of idea. This reminded me of Bhagban. So Bhagban is this uh, great uh, cultural uh, bullying tactic almost that Bollywood has glorified on children. Like, so uh, Amitabh Bachchan and Ima Malini were these uh, virtuous elders who took care of two sets of children, one adopted and one uh, of blood. And uh, the kids they gave birth to were super uh, rude and didn't want to take care of their parents and then just kind of sort of like kept ping pong balling the elders. And then um, the other guy, uh, coincidentally, the adopted virtuous son, coincidentally played by Salman Khan, uh, is lovely and takes them in. So yeah, it's, it's very, uh, it's in a nutshell that movie is everything Indian society wants you to do for your parents once they grow old. This is really interesting because I also feel that, okay, set your community, collectivistic love, uh, family ideals over side pay. I do think at some point it becomes a little bit transactional. Okay, okay so like I, I took care of you when you were young and I, you know, so then you take care of me in my old age. So I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but like what the fuck is wrong with old people homes? Like it's just, I feel like, but the, the problem in India is that, um, like, because this ideal is not, um, like, it's something that's rejected so completely, like, societally, that we don't fund old people homes, like, where, like, if, like, it's, it's seen as a very culturally, as a bad thing to have done to put your, like, parents in, like, a home where they can, you know, talk to other people of their own age and like socialize and whatever I mean if it, it's like what this whole idea of being a burden on your children I mean if you just normalize that and like fund like places where they can get the facilities and lifestyle that they need then I feel like it would be okay no I mean then the whole burden part will go away 
I think this is just a really important time to note that in the U.S., um, the the cohort with the fastest growing STI rates in the country is the elderly. Okay, because they live in these communities together and apparently they are extremely sexually active. So STIs are like rampant in these elderly retirement home communities. Okay, so they're actually having a lot of fun. But no, I think, Rajvi, to your point, there's nothing inherently wrong with these places. The problem is that a lot of them are dumps, right? Is that people haven't invested well into them. And a lot of the times, like, they're kind of falling apart. The care is not that great. And so a lot of elderly people get put in them when their families just can't be bothered, right? So I think if if we uh, if we can build the right kind of facilities with the right kind of care and they're affordable for a huge proportion of people, actually, yeah, I mean, they might be more fun for the elderly, right? To be surrounded by, you know, to have a thriving social life in a community. And that's the that's the other side to this devotion, right? That if you, it's like, it's an extreme. If you are not devoted and if you do anything less than that complete devotion, then it means that you're abandoning them. Um, and so I think we just need to create a middle ground where we do take care of the elderly and we can show them love um, without it consuming us. Um, you mentioned earlier on about this idea that, you know, raising children or like, you know, basically managing all of, a household becomes easier when there's a bigger group of people sort of participating in this. And I think there are huge, huge, huge problems with the more Western model that is a nuclear family only model, because, you know, for example, we're facing this now with a pandemic, like parents have zero support, right? They have no one to rely on. And without government subsidized childcare, it's just a disaster for people. So I don't want to hold that up as a, at a high, you know, on a, on a pedestal because it's not, um, but I also think this idea of joint families providing a huge amount of support is a bit of a fiction. I think that for some people, it works out that way. For some people who have very, you know, sort of understanding, respectful relatives that they live with, I think it works out that way. For a lot of other people, um, I think that it can cause more anxiety and more problems um, to be constantly told, for example, how to parent their own children. I mean, this is something I have heard from so many people. Um, and when we used to do actually more uh, parenting seminars, this was we used to do these workshops and this was one of the most common things that people would raise. And they would sometimes be in tears in our workshops because they would say, I know I'm supposed to be grateful that my in-laws are doing all this stuff and that I can be at work because like somebody's taking care of my kids. But at every turn, I am told that how I am parenting is wrong, that what all the discipline that I try to put in place gets undone because like the elders know better, right? And so basically people like struggling because they're not even able to raise their children the way they want to raise them because of the influence of the elders. So I think it's potentially hugely problematic. In joint families also, like, for example, if a, if a woman has just married into a joint family, there are more people she has to show devotion to, you know, including her uh, her husband and then uh, her husband's father and then her husband's uncle and then aunts and whatever. So I think this, this burden of showing devotion also disproportionately falls on women and young women in households where they have to show that devotion in the way that they cook meals for them, in the way they clean for them, in the way that they have to take care of other people's kids for them. Um, yeah. And actually the way, how does this devotion play out, right? I mean, this is the thing. It plays out one way when you're a teenager, which is okay, your parents just get to tell you what to do. 
But when you're in that middle generation, right, how does it play out? It plays out in the form of unpaid work a lot of times, right? It plays out in the way of like unfulfilled, uh, possibly unfulfilled professional ambitions. Um, it, it plays out in sort of a loss of control over parenting one's own children and making decisions about their education and how you want to raise them. I mean, there's a lot of negative aspects to it as well yeah and then in this sense devotion becomes sacrifice and then they became become conflated with each other which is just which is preposterous and i think this point was sort of uh, all these points were sort of hammered in into like at least indian children's psyche from all the tv serials that we watched as kids like the whole uh, there is a pious daughter-in-law and here is everybody who is everybody in the house that she lives in is a villain like everybody and yet she remains pious and yet all she does is suffer so <laughs> like, what is the point and there's a really interesting angle in indian tv shows that i found really fascinating which i was thinking about when we were thinking about this episode which is that the good there's always like the good daughter-in-law like like you know like your prerna or your uh, parvati and then there's the evil komolika throw throw back your komolika cult where all komolika cult members but the good daughter in law is so devoted to her um, parents in law like she will do everything for them you know she'll press their feet and she's supposed to not be into having sex with her husband and she's supposed to prefer being devoted to her parents in law over that and the difference between the villain and the good the protagonist is that the villain wants to have sex with the husband and she wants to steal him away from his parents there's always like this weird angle between the parents and and the son and the daughter in law in in these like setups and and that's where i also wonder where this the kind of pressure that this puts on daughters in law in our collectivist society where we've seen that this devotion tying back to what you said also carla about like mothers breaking down but this devotion this burden of this devotion to the elderly is like born by them 100% and this gets passed down also from mother to daughter or mother in law to daughter in law i'm going to give a personal example when i was uh, 17 or 18 i was dating this dude um and it was a like, very nice you know i used to go to his house and he used to come to mine or whatever and then at and one point i was sitting on the couch on in his house and his mom was just doing like a quick jhadu uh and then she's like oh only a few years and then rajvi will be doing this for us and rajvi was thinking no fucking way is rajvi doing this ever um and yeah and it was like every time that she spoke to me it was very much like you are going to relieve me of my duties and i was like i'm sorry aunty but that's not gonna happen um yeah and it was like so much so much messaging comes to you as a young person i mean I'm happy that my mom and my grandmother are like cool and nice and whatever but uh, you see that in other people's houses also and then of course you get put off by the idea of marriage if that's what's expected of you. I want I'm sorry auntie but that's not going to happen merchandise like <laughs> I feel like we're dancing around the the central sort of issue here which is that all of this de- elder devotion is really upholding a lot of extremely patriarchal values right it's upholding family structures that um basically make the younger women in the family the doers of all the unpaid labor in the house and the ones that potentially need to be the recipients of some <laughs> unpleasantness right but i think that the 
I think the way I read it also is that potentially like the 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 son of the family, the pressure on him, the way that he shows devotion is by earning money, right? I mean, that's the way I sort of understand it is he shows devotion by earning money and financially supporting the elders. And the his wife would would sort of show elder devotion by doing work and pressing head or feet or <laughs> whatever other examples we've raised. These examples sometimes also get really almost like death cult, like maybe death cult's not the best word, but it's very like, for example, around uh, last week, I saw this whole few roar on Twitter, at least about this one lady who was glorifying how uh, chutneys were ground in uh, families. Like uh, she was like, uh, so it the was like, right? Rujuta, the dietitian, yes. the famous dietitian. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the dietitian. Uh, yeah, so she basically went on to sort of say that uh, uh, there's a very specific way that women in a family would sort of sit with like a physical grinder rather than using an instant mixy and sort of sit and grind. And uh, that makes them more liberated. It was very weird. But like this whole idea of sitting and uh, people expecting women to sort of sit down and like sit and grind, like physically grind, break their backs. For what? Just to show devotion to a chutney? So, so that your mother-in-law comes and tells you, oh, that was really nice. Well done. Why? Okay, can I offer like a counter perspective here for a minute? I do think that, okay, as a parent, I can see how it's like, it feels normal to try to talk to your kids about your values and like what you think will make them happy. Right. So I think this is like going in a slightly different direction than where we are right now. But this idea that like, OK, parents are just meddling. Right. By saying, oh, you should get married and you should take this kind of job and you should do this and you should do that. I do think on some level, like we also have to trust and understand that some of that meddling comes from a place of genuinely wanting happiness for one's children and and believing that these are the various pathways to happiness, right? And to some sort of stability in life. And so like, I don't think it comes from a desire to own or to impose like this devotion necessarily. But I do think that that, that type of like meddling with, with, with adult kids' lives comes from a genuine desire to set them up with a life that will be fulfilling and stable. But Kara, I would like to disagree here in the sense that it's still not foregrounding the child's needs or like the adult child, whatever. Like it's, a, it's, it's still foregrounding that, okay, my values, I want this for you instead of being like, hey, what do you want for yourself? And I'm probably going to make a very extreme analogy right now, which probably is 100% I know is not what you meant. But imagine if it's like a queer person growing up in a household and then you know like it's a very religious household for example and the person is like oh, okay you know being trans or being gay or whatever is against our values like even if it even if the parent is coming homophobically to the person and saying that hey I think that your life is not going to go great because this is this is your uh, gender or sexual orientation I don't give a like I don't care if they're coming from a good place right because the harm that it is doing to the child like that needs to be foregrounded before they go imposing their values. And I mean it in the same way if a person is trying to teach a young child feminism, for example, right? You need to like arm the child with enough information and enough perspectives to be able to make their own decision if and when they become, I don't know, sane enough to do that. Um, because there are more bigoted people than not bigoted people in the world. Obviously, this is the downside is that 
it's the imposition of one generation's or one group of people's values on another is never a good idea. But I still think that it comes, I do think that in most instances it's coming from a place of like, this will make you happier or like this will improve your life in some way. Now, the fact that it's totally misguided and that it doesn't allow for any breathing room for that child to be whoever they need to be. Now that I actually think is like bad strategy on parents' parts. For me, like this demanding blind obedience on this stuff, it's like the recipe for A, an unhappy family, and B, for the kid to emotionally, ultimately emotionally reject you, right? And be more distant. What about the kind of pressures that this puts on young Indians, even those who might conform in every other way, but what about the kind of pressure on their careers and on the pressure to marry? I have another personal example to give you all now. Um, so, you, yeah, like, you know, we have this thing where, uh, you know, doctors and um, I guess CAs and engineers, there are some there are some career paths that are more prestigious or considered more successful and like you get more pats on the back if you choose them. Um, and uh, this is speaking to your point, Aditi, about how um, you need at least the people around you to have your back and be like, okay, if you don't want to show your devotion to these uh, relatives and these like distant uh, removed relatives, that's fine. Because um, there, there was this dude in my family who was like, when he learned that I was going to be a journalist and not a doctor like my mom, uh, he was like uh, very against it. I don't know why he needed to like insert himself in my life, but he was just like, are you going to, are you going to uh, sleep with media people? Is that how you're going to get ahead? He thought that journalists only get successful because they sleep with other people. And then, yeah, it was, it was insane. And anyway, in that moment, um, I think my mom was just like very curt and stuff, but he was never, he was never like told, okay, like you're such a fucker just like stop stop saying like shit like this right that like don't um, impose your views in such crude ways on like young 16 17 year old girls um and he's still kicking and he's probably still doing this to other young people so i think there is also um a point where we need to kind of speak out very actively against this like devotional aspect of interpersonal communication in indian families because otherwise there is no stopping it you know, that's the other thing. You can never give an old Indian uncle or auntie like a clap back. You can't say anything to them. You just have to be like, mm, yeah, haha. Like there's that awkward laughter when they say something like, oh, you didn't become a doctor. Or like they can say anything they want to you and you can't say anything back because then you'd be Bhattamis, you know, or you're not devoted. This is like culture of obedience. Okay, one thing that I thought of when Rajvi was talking that another like big something similar and very different between Indian family culture and American family culture. So one thing I've noticed from living in India and coming here for almost 20 years is that Indian families are just as fucked up and dysfunctional as American families, okay? It's just that in the US, it's out in the open a lot more, right? So here, there's all these weird things going on beneath the surface and no one's allowed to talk about it. And no one's allowed to say, okay, you know what? I don't want to talk, like that uncle who said this rude stuff makes me really uncomfortable, but I still have to like pretend that we get along and everything's fine, right? In the US, it would just be that you don't talk to that uncle anymore, right? And that would be that. And maybe there would be a family reunion and you would just say, I'm not going. And that would be, that's just what would happen, right? The dysfunction is still there in both systems. So I don't see a situation in India where like the more communal, like the more community-based philosophy is actually 
integrating families emotionally more, right? Like that it's making them more cohesive or more or less, you know, or more functional and more emotionally healthy. It's just that you don't say it when there's a problem. Yeah, and we all get like amazing at pretending. <laughs> so, but this dysfunction is also like uh, the only problem with the world you can't talk to your uh, you can't talk to a person after they've disrespected you in a way is that sometimes the same people sort of like come and have your back too. Like I have an outside inside example now. Like uh, my parents were very convinced that uh, I should have a science education, like a STEM education, for sure, for sure. because they thought that that was the only way i would have any form of economic stability in my life and uh, nobody would sort of like uh, say anything against that even though i kept sort of trying to say something against that except for my uncle like uh, from my mom's side he was the only person who sort of had my back and sort of said that hey if you wants to have an arts education that's fine and that is great and that is cool so it's just a bit like how do you sort of like navigate whether like is it like a is it i think it's sort of boils down to being able to sort of say that hey you wronged me and then being and the other person sort of recognizing it and apologizing and being able to mend that relationship rather than immediately cutting them off apologizing you want your elders to apologize that's not happening <laughs> yeah and i'm i'm thinking of uh, you know like movies in which i've seen this a more as a humane interactional approach to like resolving issues and i don't really remember any like the movie that keeps coming back to my head is kab khushi kabhi gham in which like the devotion had to be completely taken away from amita bachchan like he like his son needed to completely cut him off and multiple people people needed to go to him to be like hey it's your son it's your son it's your son and then he finally acquiesced in like the most like stoic poker face amita bachchan way and you know one thing that i wanted to ask one important point that you also made kala was about are these structures or is this devotion to the elderly and this idea for collectivist society actually helping us emotionally or is it putting pressure on us as individuals in in like a bad way right like so for instance this whole idea of the whole community the elders getting to decide who you marry and we've seen countless pop culture examples of that right like there's a whole song which is so iconic even today ki isiliye mummy ne meri tujhe chai pe bulaya hai like this is why my mom has called you over for tea okay because shayad meri shaadi ka khayal dil mein aaya hai because she's thought about my marriage to you right so that song is still so iconic and that idea that you need and shout out to akshay who's looking for his wife in his mom from indian matchmaking and but that's literally every second person right so <laughs> everything that they everything that like an elder person sort of comes and tries to tell you is just like you should be doing this you should be doing that you should be it's always like a should that comes into play when you're talking to somebody significantly older and related to you like you should be doing this this is how i see your life and then you start you internally your brain just sort of starts combusting because you don't really understand because you are at this i mean you are a certain age but you still sort of like feel stuck like you still kind of feel like a child and then you've been you've been told that this massive thing has to be done rather than it being done at your own time and at, at your own pace because i mean everybody lives their life very differently so the whole should thing just sort of it, it just gives you a bit of a headache and it's also like the more people that you give reins to to control your life like the more people you have to please and the fewer people you are able to please because everybody needs something different from you um so of course it's it's not going to work and 
Yeah, that was my reaction to what Aditi was saying also, which is, you know, it's hard enough to find fulfillment and to be at peace with who we are. It takes people, you know, sometimes, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years of their lives to truly be comfortable and self-confident with who they are and to be at peace with their own decisions and to be fulfilled and happy with every choice, every life choice that they make for themselves. Now, if you take that journey and you pile on top of it, you know, 15 random family members dropping in their opinions about what they think and bringing their own baggage and their own insecurities and their own ways that they've failed and they want to project their failures or their aspirations onto you. And you have to somehow find your way through early adulthood and like find your footing in life while also managing all those different voices. It's bloody impossible. I honestly don't know how anyone does it. And so that's like my biggest problem with like arranged marriage and like this whole Indian matchmaking show and everything, right? Because I don't like it when people are like, oh, marriage is between families, not between people. I fucking hate that line. It's so, it's not between families. Those families are like, shouldn't be living together. You know, you can't like thrust like 20 people together in a house and expect them to get along. And that I think being able to move out at a young age and be able to live alone and not have your mother or your wife wait on you hand and foot for everything. Um, like, that's very important in being able to create independence, not just for individuals, but also for couples. Um, so once you're not thinking about how if your families will get along, then maybe you'll be able to pay more attention to if you actually get along. 100% agree. I think it's so, so, so important to move out because uh, I decided to do it straight out of straight out of college and I had like, me, me and my parents were like at loggerheads about it because they absolutely refused and I had to fight them really hard to get me so that I could move out and move to another city and sort of do my own thing. And I discovered that I became a completely different person from what I used to be and like that time spent alone pending for myself made it 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 was so important because I wasn't thinking about what someone else was telling me to do I wasn't thinking about what I should I was just I I had no expectations and I wasn't really trying to get on a career path I was just doing a job coming home pending for myself learning how to be responsible it is everything it teaches you how to be an adult which is also why it's straight up heartbreaking that a lot of people had to move back with their parents because of the pandemic. <laughs> like, shout out to all of you, including me. It, we, we'll get out of here soon. Wow, I was going to go on a completely different track with that. I was like, which is which is why we see how most Indian men are man children and it goes back to that whole like, you know, I mean, in, in like heteronormative settings, how the women end up bearing like the brunt of all the work so we're super devotional and burdened and like men just get to do whatever they want but you know like I think in all of this conversation we've seen that we're kind of pushing back and even in pop culture do you think young people are now pushing back with even the portrayals we, we see online like on social media with like you know a Kusha Kapila or a Dolly Singh and like this whole making fun of the Delhi auntie or the auntie who judges you critique sort of a thing so again yes pushing back in the sense that pushing back on social media like pushing back with like-minded people uh to kind of vent and have that i don't know if that pushback is actually translating to real lives because in real life communication with your elders like all of these things that we talked about come back right like your interpersonal relationship with them what you were taught to treat them as like all of that comes in so personally speaking yeah like I'm quite vocal about 
like how like what i think about like elder devotion but i, I don't think that i've like practiced the pushback very much in my personal life just because it's really hard so um i don't know how there there would be a way to see if it's happening in irl plus a lot of the pushback that we see from uh, comic artists like kusha kapila and more i think they're all very cathartic right it's like uh, i think even iman sheikh does a bunch of them and stuff and even the that artist hate copy like it's very cathartic to see that it's just sort of like flow with the whole idea of just straight up hating on the people uh, who you had to live with for a certain period of time because of like all the imposition that happened and uh, I don't know, like, and then when you saw it, it's very extreme. Like, you almost want to then you almost go back to your phones and you hate on them, and then you're actually talking to them. You sort of realize that there's a massive power difference still in your head or actually there, and then you don't know how to sort of translate that catharsis into actively sort of asserting yourself in front of your elders. So, like, how do you communicate respectfully? And because you still, I mean, no matter how annoying they are, you still love them, right? Because they're family in a way. and how do you sort of communicate to them that oh, this is weird like without sort of just clapping back or something like that okay at the risk of sounding too american i do want to actually and i don't mean this question rhetorically i actually want to ask like why isn't the conversation around financial independence at the absolute foreground of this question of pushing back to me it is so central this idea that like if you pay your own bills no one can tell you what to do this idea that like you have to participate or you have to just grin and bear it you actually don't right in a way so i understand why you do if you're living under someone else's roof but i guess i'm asking why isn't the vehicle for getting to a situation where especially young women right are no longer beholden to the parents wishes about who they should marry or the in-laws uh wishes about what they should be cleaning or where they should be working or whether they should be working or how many children to have or whatever why is the key to it not uh financial independence like why isn't that the aspirational vehicle to get there i think it is actually i think it is because uh, self plug uh, i reported on two articles over span of last year uh, one about uh, young women young urban women uh, dissenting against their elders and another one about how uh, queer people learn to come out to their families and every single source who i spoke to in both these spaces specified how important it is to have a certain amount of financial independence before talking back because worst case if you're cut off you are not in trouble because you have the financial padding of taking being able to take care of yourself like everybody stressed on it like it is imperative that you have some sort of money saved away you have a space to go to you have support and only when that is done that is when you sort of stop thinking about self preservation and then you sort of start advocating for yourself but i would also say like the decision to choose that the decision to foreground that in your own plan is also uh, like laced with the devotion that you feel toward your parents what they have told you right like i come from a small town where a lot of the people i know they moved to bombay uh, for like a business degree or something like that and then their parents allowed them to work for a year maybe and then they promptly called them back mostly women so this devotion also plays out there right your parents tell you hey you can't work right now stay at home learn how to cook or whatever and then hey you got you got have to get married so like where is the space to even foreground this for yourself um when when you've been like doing this blind obedience for a very long time 
and actually the study by mckinsey uh, the study that mckinsey had done had found that most millennials it was i think a 2018 study that most mil- indian millennials urban indian mil- millennials in middle and high income group actually ref or prefer saving on rent and staying with their parents so that that can go towards building their own house and taking a loan and all of that so that's how it plays out but in in just in defense of that and sort of like wrapping up i do think that there is a lot of positive of a culture which believes in 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 like giving back in a certain way and like in a symbiotic parent child relationship like the idea that the people who took care of you and raised you are the people who you will be taking care of and when they need it i i think that idea in and of itself is a is a really nice idea so i'm just wondering is there a middle ground that we can reach is there is there like a middle ground between you know giving respect or showing kindness to the elderly or having that kind of devotion while also having like independence and have people not judge you or like okay shishti i completely disagree with what you said just uh, in the in the in the last part i don't think that love or respect is like owed you know it's earned in the sense that like the way that parents parent you should determine if you are like taking care of them when they're older you know like it's not that oh they did this for me so i'm going to like I, the, the quality of that parenting matters a lot i i don't think that it's a blanket obligation for you to have to do that i also completely reject like outright reject this notion of duty i just don't do not believe in duty whatsoever i just reject it so just because somebody gave birth to me that doesn't mean i have any duty towards them whatsoever right but that said and actually ironically for this whole conversation cuz i've been advocating some of some of the other position but i'll just share personally like i am completely devoted to my parents like i actually have that level of devotion for my parents but my parents raised me in a highly individualistic way like we're here whatever you need whatever you want right so that is actually what created the level of devotion where like i never want to leave their side and i'd be thrilled to live in a joint family with them <laughs> do you know what i mean like that's actually what created that type of bond is them actually leaving me alone and letting me figure out who i am on my own but but yeah so okay so we clearly have very different opinions about this but do you think there's a middle ground or do you think this idea of elderly devotion we should just do away with it entirely do away do away completely it's not helping anyone do it if you want to i guess that's it if it personally gives you happiness and if you feel safe doing it then definitely consider it a duty just don't feel obliged to do it like you have you don't need to no i was just going to say i feel like we've come right back around to where we started which is that there's the line between devotion and respect right and respect is earned in both directions respect is built over time with communication with openness with boundaries with all sorts of other you know components but this like this idea of just devotion flat out simply because um of a certain hierarchy within a family it, i think hugely dysfunctional and not helpful and also love right not just respect also love you can easily fall out of love with your parents and then fall back in love when you know they are nice people again <laughs> so that's also not just like a blanket given thing i i think that's a good note to end on we disagreed a bit in this episode and then we came to happy agreement about disagreeing with this idea of elder devotion in india and i think that's the best note to end on that respect and love uh, should be earned through the way in which you live your life and through the way in which you treat people and it shouldn't be something which is just a matter of fact of your position in either a family or in society 
And on that note, let's hope you rethink elder devotion. Don't feel bad about being bad to people who are bad to you. Wow, I said bad <laughs> lots of times in that yeah. sentence. And see you next time. Bye. Bye.